Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We're coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loan Studios. They found a better way to mortgage so you can focus on making your new house home. Rocket Mortgage. Push button. Get mortgage. Sunday, the NFL on CBS features the Chiefs taking on the Titans or an NFC encounter between the Lions and Bears and Soldier Field, all beginning with JB and the guys. On the NFL today at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific on CBS. Our toll-free line on CBS Sports Radio is 855-212-4CBS. It's brought to you by GEICO. Great news. You can save a bunch of money. All you have to do is switch to GEICO. Go to GEICO.com like Carver High did. He saved 15% on his auto insurance in like 15 minutes. It's just crazy. All right. Let's go out to the Bay Area. Dieter Kurtenbach is back on the bench from the Bay Area News Group. How you doing, Dieter? Pretty well. How about yourself? Hanging in, bro. So let's start with the Raiders. I, I have to tell you, I'm uh, I'm pleasantly surprised at how tough they've been on a you know game by game basis. I know they're four and four. I know they're in second place. You could take all that to the woodshed. All I know is they are in every game they play. I mean, they're in every game. They are giving problems to everybody. They, they can score. They can move the ball. Um, I do have questions on the long-term viability of that, but we're running out of time for it to be long-term. They, uh, they have one of the best backs in the NFL in Josh Jacobs. This rookie out of Alabama is the real deal. And they kind of run everything through him. Uh, they're, they're kind of an old-school offense in that sense where they're going to run the ball first and pass it second. Derek Carr has full control over John Gruden's offense. It's not going to wow you. It doesn't have a lot of star power. It doesn't have big play potential. But they just keep moving the ball. And uh, eventually they, they find holes in the defense. They put it in the end zone. It's, uh, it's really fun to watch. It's a little bit of a throwback. Again, maybe defenses will key in on it later on in the year. But, man, yeah, they can, they can score, and that's good because their defense is, is really, really bad. But maybe it has a little bit of opportunism in it, and uh, we saw that at the end of the game against the Lions. They're in it, and uh, that's more than you probably expected going into the season. So you have to view this as progress for the Raiders. I thought the late touchdown throw to uh, Renfro was a great play. Uh, there was about two minutes left, and then they broke up a fourth down pass in the end zone late in the game to seal the deal against the Lions. The fact that they're making, like, clutch plays late in games is, uh, you know, enough for me to realize that what Gruden's doing there is working. Yeah, absolutely. I think that we have to start when we're saying, well, what's the biggest change for the Raiders? I think we have to start with the offensive line. It has been awesome this year. and Last year, it was a complete liability. Derek Carr was on his back more than he was throwing it down the field. This year, he's getting all the time in the world to throw. Now, he's not using much of it. He gets the ball out of his hands pretty quick. But, but he has a clean pocket more often than not, and that's allowing him to sort of feel like himself again. It's not that long ago, 2016, when Derek Carr was almost the MVP of the National Football League. So this guy certainly doesn't lack the talent. He can make all the throws. Uh, there are still deficiencies there. Don't get me wrong. I don't think he's going to win MVP anytime soon. But that, that little late-game magic that he had, it reminded me a little bit of that 2016 season when I think he had seven game-winning drives in the fourth quarter. Uh, if you protect him, 
he's going to help you win games. And he certainly won't lose you games uh, more often than not. That's where it starts for the Rays. It's starting up front. Now, if they can get anybody on their defensive line, you might actually be talking about a team that can make some noise come 2020. But, uh, yeah, right now they, they, they need every point that they can get out of, uh, out of this offense, and luckily they can score. What do they think of Cleveland uh, Farrell? They still like him. It helps that he's a very high-character kid and that they didn't expect him to be an immediate impact guy. But the fan base is – they're not turning on him because, again, they, they seem to like him. He's got a great personality. You want him to succeed. And, and no one thought that he would come out here and be Nick Bosa. But, uh, man, the word bust is starting to get thrown around. He, he just looks completely overmatched against even mediocre offensive linemen in the NFL. Uh, I, I, he had a nice play at the end of that Lions game. Uh, maybe that's something that he can build off of. But for the number four overall pick, when you look at that pass rusher class that we just had in the NFL draft, he's at the bottom of the list. Uh, and when you see what Bosa's doing for the 49ers, what, what Allen's doing for uh, the Jaguars, I mean, even what you know, Brian Burns is doing for the Panthers, you're, you're just wondering how, how the hell did the Raiders, who had second pick out of all of these guys, end up with the worst one of them all? Uh, he, he needs to start showing something down the stretch that people can get some optimism going because you know, once you kind of get that bus label, it's hard to shake it, especially at a position – that doesn't have that much difficulty in transitioning from the college to the NFL level, at least compared to you know some of the other skill positions. Yeah, no doubt. Dieter Kurdenbach with us, Barry News Group, uh, because the guy across the bay, Nick Bosa, was the number one player taken, and he has been phenomenal. So he's kind of like really overshadowing uh, Farrell. I have to I have to ask you this uh, great matchup Monday night with uh, Russell Wilson against Garoppolo. Uh, that should be a fantastic game. I, I think uh, Wilson, for me, is the MVP. What he's doing in Seattle with nobody around him is uh, really amazing. Meanwhile, Garoppolo's, they're the only undefeated team in the NFL. It's crazy. It, it is. Uh, this is classic Monday Night Football, right? This feels like the marquee matchup that deserves its own day uh, for everyone to take it in. And uh, I, I couldn't be more excited for that game. We have a pretty good Thursday night game here in the Bay Area with the Raiders and the Chargers, but that Monday night football game, we circled it on our calendars when it seemed like, oh, man, the Niners, the Niners might do something because you always know with Russell Wilson under center that the Seahawks are going to be there, uh, even, even though their defense can't stop anybody. And as you mentioned, they don't really have that many dudes on offense, though they did just add one to Josh Gordon. Like, it's just Wilson, and I agree with you. He's the MVP, and he's been the boogeyman for the 49ers. He effectively ended whatever great run the Niners had, uh, five years ago, there's that famous moment of him eating turkey at the center of Levi Stadium, probably the most iconic moment at Levi Stadium to date. Uh, the 49ers have proven that they can beat bad teams. I think they've proven they can beat good teams uh, in, in the Rams and in a couple other guys. They need to prove that they can beat someone who's great. And I don't know if the Seahawks themselves are a great team, but Russell Wilson is unquestionably great, and they got to beat him. If you don't beat him, I just can't move you up into the next class, even if you are – you know, undefeated at this juncture right now. You got to prove it. They have a really tough second half of the schedule, and I'm really interested to see how Garoppolo raises his game. I thought he was awesome last Thursday night on Halloween against the Cardinals. He won them that game. It's been it was the first time in a long time that Garoppolo has lifted up the team. Uh, he seems to be getting better week in and week out. And as a guy who doesn't even have 20 NFL starts, I guess that's to be expected. But if the defense starts to get exposed a little bit, with Quan Alexander, their will linebacker out, I do think that teams are going to start picking them apart a little bit more than in the past. Garoppolo's got to up his game. 
he has to look at least in the same class or whatever degree you can get to uh, with Russell Wilson. He has to look like he, he's a quarterback who can go toe-to-toe with that guy because the Niners can be really, really good with that defense, but in order for them to be great, for them to be a true Super Bowl contender, they got to have a great offense, too, and we know where that starts in the NFL. It starts at the quarterback position. Do you think that, that Jimmy Garoppolo. Do you think that um... – you know, Shanahan has actually, because everybody gives McVay all this genius status. I, I think Shanahan's been uh, a way better coach than him. I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I, I like McVay. Don't get me wrong. And those guys come from the same tree. Uh, and what he did, the, the Rams, McVay's a great coach, head coach. Uh, the culture that they were able to install, uh, the way that everybody's on the same page with the Rams is enviable. Uh, Shanahan is, is showing this year that he can be a great head coach too. He's had to adjust his game a little bit to uh, to kind of focus more on the defense and special teams and, and not focus so much on the offense. But in terms of play calling and play calling rhythm and just getting dudes open, Shanahan's been the best in the business for four or five years now. Uh, he, he has a bunch of scrub wide receivers. They finally got Emmanuel Sanders, who's a hell of a player. Uh, but before that, they were just dealing with, you know, random dudes that no one has on their fantasy team. He's getting these guys open by five, six, seven yards. Uh, George Kittle goes from a fifth-round draft pick into probably the best tight end in the NFL. What Shanahan's able to do, what, how he's able to scheme up games is incredible. You give him competent quarterback play, he'll put 40 on the board every given day. You give him great quarterback play, as we saw uh, a couple weeks ago when they played the Panthers. And, and Garoppolo, I don't even know if he was great, but he was close to it. They put 50 on the board. And, uh, yeah, Shanahan, Shanahan's unbelievable. And it will be interesting to see going forward, uh, not just this year, but in the years to come, it, as more talent develops on that team, what Shanahan can actually do. Because he has a level of, of game planning and a, a playbook that, just no defense can match up with. I mean, He's taking advantage of all the rules. They are running the ball down teams' throats. I mean, they're they're running the ball 35, 40 times a game. They they are really truly the best running team in the league. It's great too. I mean, he, he what did you expect though? He's his father's son. Uh, his dad won two Super Bowls running the ball every single play. Now that was an era where that was acceptable, but. The apple just doesn't fall too far from the tree. And the crazy thing to me is that they've been running the ball with perhaps even more success than they were early in the year with both of their starting tackles out. Both of those guys, Mike McGlinchey and Joe Staley, are probably going to be back for that Monday night game. But they didn't miss a beat in the run game with two tackles missing in an outside wide zone scheme. That's just crazy to me. That shows how good not only Shanahan is in drawing them up, but how good he and his assistant coaches are on building up a sixth-round draft pick and a dude they signed out of the Allegiance of American football or whatever. I mean, these are total scrubs that they had, and they were doing fantastic stuff on the ground. Tevin Coleman, perfect pickup for them. We know Matt Breed is a dude. Uh, They're going to run the ball, and you got defense, and you can run the ball. That's going to travel in January. It's going to travel up until January, and it's going to play big time once January comes around, the 49ers at 8-0 are pretty much a lock to make the playoffs at this juncture. What is the Quan Alexander injury doing to their D? Yeah, it will be really interesting. Uh, one of the big things that they did on defense this year with Robert Sala, their defensive coordinator, was getting some head coaching looks around the league now, but he was kind of on the hot seat coming into this year. He's an old cover three guy from Seattle, and then he went to Jacksonville with Gus Bradley. He believed in the cover three and would run it in a rigid pace. And they got really multiple this year. They changed up the defensive front, knowing that they'd have a bunch of better pass rushers this year. And they started doing two safety looks, zero safety looks. They just weren't as rigid anymore. 
And defense and offenses really didn't know what to get with them because they had so much athleticism and speed and versatility. And I thought the linchpin of all of that was Alexander, who just gets sideline to sideline as well as anybody. So great in pass coverage. You show me a good defense in 2019, I'll show you two linebackers who can cover the pass. Uh, with him out, I, I'm concerned that they're going to go back to more of that rigid cover three that they've run over the last few years. They've been a bottom defense the last few years. So this jump, I think, had a lot to do with Alexander holding everything together, allowing Robert Sala to get weird with stuff, and really highlighting the positives of this defense. Without him, they're going to have a guy who just can't move around as much as he can out there. I, I don't know how you scheme around that. Because if you leave him out there on the island to ask him to do what Quan Alexander did, he's going to get picked apart. I mean, as much as we want to think that these offensive coordinators are getting really you know, creative and spending hours in the lab, sometimes they just look on the other side of the field and say, that's the worst guy. Attack him 40 times in a row. Um, I, I can't imagine that the Seahawks aren't going to do that on Monday Night Football. So it'll be interesting to see how Salah adapts because, again, Alexander – was probably the one guy on that defense who couldn't go down, and now he's out for the year. Do you think uh, or Dieter Kurtenbach with us from the Barry News Group? Let, let me ask you: Do you think that um, who are the Giants going to name as their manager, and is Madison Bumgarner actually going to leave there and go? Like, because you're hearing all this stuff that the Braves are after him. Do you see that happening? The, the latter question, yeah, I think that the way that the Giants handled Madison Bumgarner at the end of the season felt as if they were saying goodbye alongside Bruce Bochy. So uh, it would surprise me at this juncture if Madison Bumgarner stuck around with the Giants, especially when you look at the marketplace. If Garrett Cole's going to get 200 and something million dollars uh, and Madison Bumgarner's only going to get 80, he, he should be going to a playoff team. Some team should be smart enough to throw that 80 million for four years at him because he, he's the real deal. He, he's awesome, and he's going to not only win you regular season games, but you want him on your team in the postseason, and that's just not in the cards for the Giants right now. Uh, so it feels like they're going to move on from him. As for the manager, I mean, all signs right now point to Gabe Kapler, and the reason that this is dragging out is because you know the Bay Area. Uh, that This is a place that's going to get its, its panties up in a bundle pretty fast about just anything, uh, and, and what Gabe Kapler – the rap that he has from his time in L.A. is not going to go over well. Add in that he did not exactly cover himself in glory with that Phillies team that he had last year with some of the weird stuff that he was doing early in the year and then his bullpen management, pitcher management late in the year. But he's, it seems like he's Farhan Zaidi's guy. They go back from when they were both with the, uh, with the Dodgers, and, and right now I think that the delay is probably – them figuring out the PR aspect of all of this. I think Kapler's number one on their board, and they're just trying to feel out how they can roll this this news out to the people. And lastly, Dieter, uh, the Warriors, how how ugly is that mess? But you know what? For a lot of people, they're, people are lapping it up because they, you know, they had such an incredible run and dominance and, and all the trips to the finals. A lot of people nationally are sick and tired of them, and they are not crying over their uh, injuries. People are actually enjoying watching them suffer. Uh, what's the deal with the team? They look awful. Yeah, well, I mean, that's to be expected when you have literally seven guys who can be in the G League on a nine-man roster. Like, that, that's, they're a G League team playing at the NBA level. And the Warriors, frankly, with Steph Curry's injury and then Draymond Green's injury after that, they're getting a little bit lucky here. Not in that they're not going to stink, but because there's cover for them stinking. They were going to stink if Curry played. They were going to stink if Draymond Green played. And now they have an excuse that they just have dudes that aren't even close to NBA level out there every night. And um, 
Honestly, they'll probably be better off in the long run because they're giving a lot of these young guys serious minutes and serious responsibilities. And when Curry and Draymond do come back, these guys will be just a little bit better for all of the reps that they got going forward. But, you know, in terms of, of laughing it up, honestly, like it'd be way more funny if Steph Curry was out there and they were still getting their ass kicked. Right now you're looking at – it's hard to root against a bunch of guys who – who you know don't belong on the court you almost feel sorry for him at this juncture so only 74 more games to go but this season looked lost before the injury and now it's absolutely lost and they're just going for a high draft pick they they're going to have a lot of money they're going to have a 17 million dollar trade exemption they might have a really high draft pick and a couple of young guys who because they got so much playing time this year now look like pretty interesting trade assets don't write the warriors off entirely just yet because they could come into next year and get right back into the thick of things in the Western Conference. But this year, this year they're going to take their licks. So I guess get in the jokes while you can. Dieter Kurtenbach, always rocking on the bench. Great stuff tonight, Dieter. It's always a pleasure having you on CBS Sports Radio. Thanks a lot, brother. We'll be in touch. Let's do it again soon. Thanks. All right, uh, Dieter Kurtenbach, 855-212-4CBS. You're listening to Pharrell on the bench. So one other note on that uh, Giants-Jets game uh, in terms of uh, some other stuff. Uh, Sterling Shepard back in concussion protocol. I think he went to Pittsburgh to see a specialist about his uh, concussion uh, problems. And also um, Evan Ingram's availability is in doubt. The tight end uh, has – he didn't practice today. Uh, he has a foot injury. He's being sent to uh, this doctor for a second opinion. And uh, the guy's based in Green Bay, and he deals with uh, athletes with foot injuries that might require surgery. Ingram already missed a game with a knee injury this year, so the Giants look uh, still massively banged up going into that game on uh, Sunday against the Jets. What an unwatchable game. I I can't even bear I won't even think about watching it. I wouldn't even consider it. Not on the radar. So I, going back to the conversation I had with uh, earlier with the guy that called in. It was 6'10", All-American from St. Michael's. and um, Kenneth. Yeah. So last week when I was off, right, I didn't do, what, Tuesday through Friday shows? I just want you to know. So I went Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. What is that, like six days? I mean to tell you, I ate 20 pints of sorbet in six days. I got on like a like heroin. I was literally addicted to lemon uh, and raspberry sorbet. So I'd just go one at a time. Lemon one night first and then hit a raspberry up. Then the next night I'd go raspberry, lemon, backward, you know, backwards. I, I ate 20 of them. 20, at least 20 pints of sorbet in six days. Now, that's when you know you got something wrong with you. Like, I literally couldn't stop eating it. I could, I, I just couldn't even think about stopping. I was completely binging on sorbet. Like, Haagen-Dazs is my uh, flavor of choice. And um, so my buddy used to own that company. I used to have a friend that owned it, Haagen-Dazs. And, uh... He owned a bunch of Haagen-Dazs stores. And uh, I used to, remember I used to tell you the stories of the, I would drive in this guy's Porsche at like midnight. We'd go, we'd go roll into the ice cream store. And like he had the, you know, he owned it. So he had the keys and uh, he would take me in his Porsche 
to drive, and he would do like a hundred in Pittsburgh, rolling, just rolling to. I think it was in Squirrel Hill is where the store was. And we would drive from Mount Lebanon to Squirrel Hill, and we would literally do 100 miles an hour on the 79 or whatever, and then uh, go eat. We would just go, and I would smoke, like, fat doobies before I went so that I was completely stupid when I got there. <laughs> I was ready to just eat ice cream. Like, I mean, I was ready. I mean, when I was a kid, I could just go I could go hard on, like, 15, 20 different flavors, you know? Like, I, if it was Baskin-Robbins, I would have hit all 33. Remember when they used to rock the 33 flavors, Baskin-Robbins? They don't really have Baskin-Robbins anymore, do they? What are they, in Dunkin' Donuts? Yeah, they're connected to a lot of Dunkin' Donuts. Have you ever had their rainbow sherbet? The, I have not. You've never had a uh, the the Baskin-Robbins rainbow uh, sorbet? Absolutely not. Oh, my God. I don't, I don't particularly eat sorbet, period. Is that so, right? Do yeah. you eat, uh, what's the other one called? The... Uh, what is that ice cream called that everybody eats now? Uh, you mean gel- don't gelato. gelato? Yeah, that's called ice cream. <laughs> is right? that don't what? let somebody tell you that gelato. They give they slap some fancy name on ice. You know cream what it looks like to me is like snot. It's like a it's like a pudding or something. It's ice cream. Is it? Is what that's what it is. Gelato is a fancy word for ice cream. Is that right? Because I won't eat it. It's absolutely no I, difference. I don't eat. I think it's too like uh, it's like whipped. It's like a there's like a it's like a um, it's like cat cable. Yeah, it doesn't exist. <laughs> it just seems like cat cable to me when I like because they used to have one right across from my pad in Boca, and like I remember everyone would go, "Let's go over and have some gelato." Oh, yeah, we've got gelato. You have ice cream. That's what you have. You have okay. ice cream. Well, just so you know, I'm not a femme. I don't eat gelato. Okay, but I do like, as I said, I like lemon Haagen Dazs sorbet. And the raspberry, and I like uh, the Baskin Robbins rainbow sherbet. Sherbet is also the cousin of gelato. Sherbet lives uh, just across the county line. Sherbet is. A, have you ever had sherbet, Carver High? Uh, maybe when I was six, uh, probably back then. So, do you? That's like, more uh, away from the ice cream realm. But than do you like gelato, which is just a scam? Do you like Dairy Queen ice cream? I mean, there's not too many Dairy Queens really? by me, so. Not even? You can't even get a, a Dairy Queen ice cream, like a Blizzard? There's like two on Long Island of all of Long What about you, Jay? Have you ever had Dairy Queen? I can honestly say I've never had Dairy Queen in my life. Are you you got to be lying. They don't exist on Long Island. What about you, Jersey, Ma- Mafia? Have you ever had, uh, they're everywhere in Jersey. Yeah, they're by us in Jersey. I've had Blizzard a couple times. It's awesome. Awesome. Now, uh, you know what I eat is the caramel sundae at, at Dairy Queen. And I mean, I get, when I do it, I don't mess around. Like, ask him, when I go to Starbucks, how many pumps of caramel do I put in the Six. drink? Six oh pumps. God. So when I, go to the, on top. when I go to the Dairy Queen, <laughs> the guy knows me. He's like, Pharrell, what's up? And then he just literally just takes a big vat of caramel and puts ice cream in it. He doesn't do the other, like where you put the ice cream and then you top it off. He just puts my ice cream in a vat of caramel. And then that's why I'm pre-diabetic, because I'm, I'm willing to go to Dairy Queen and literally eat seven pounds of caramel. And literally, like, and all over my face. I got it all over my face. And uh, I won't even consider going there unless I'm baked. I mean, I got to be completely, just absolutely cheached out of my face to go to Dairy Queen. <laughs> It's always dangerous to have the ice cream after you smoke, though. Why? Because then you just never stop. I mean, I guess that stop. that at least is like a stopping point. Like, if I get like a whole pint of something, yeah. like, I'll just eat, and then I'll get to the point like, eh, 
There's not much left. No point okay. in saving this. I eat a shit. pint of sorbet in one sitting in five minutes. That's how long it takes me to bust off one of those. So now I, it's so delicious to me, and I'm so addicted to it, that I actually uh, try to go slow. So I do shaved spoons. Instead of, like, spoonfuls, I just shave the, the sorbet into little teeny flavorful mouth O's. You, you know, don't have the, that patience uh, if I'm big. You know what the O would be, right? They're like mouth O's. I'm getting, like, a, just a complete, it's like a sexual uh, spoonful of sorbet. And I, I mean, literally, it's a, it's, it's a movement. It's actually, people need to start getting into my realm of sorbet eating as a sexual. Uh, I'm a. Sexual uh, experience? Yeah, I'm in love with it. Like, I, when I literally, when I have sorbet, a lemon sorbet from Hagenas, I literally make love to it. I'm literally like, a, I'm like a, I'm a lover. I'm just, I'm so, I talk to it. I'm There's like, probably some kind of term for that. You're so delicious on oh, my tongue. Do you, have your, do you ever go to, like, uh, fancy restaurants? They give you a little thing of sal sorbet for your palate before you have dinner. Have you ever had that, where they give yeah. you a little shot of sorbet? palate cleanse. It you is. You go to weddings a lot, too. Oh, they're so awesome. I mean, and then they have these ones. I forget who makes Minute Maid makes uh, these sorbet uh, ice cream treats. They're, they're sorbet sticks. They're literally, like, four or five inches long, and it's just a frozen sorbet on a stick. And, I mean, I, I can eat the whole... G damn box at 12 of them in like 20 minutes. I Once I start, I don't stop. So 34C buys five boxes of them because she knows I eat the whole box in one sitting. <laughs> I eat 12 of them in one sitting. I'm not even kidding. I just can't stop. I'm like complete binge freak eaters. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. You're listening to Pharrell on the Bench. Hey, don't forget to sign up for PharrellOnTheBench.com. All my uh, college and pro picks are posted for every game Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And I've been on fire. Yeah, yeah. 66% in college football last week including hitting my top five picks and six of my top seven. It's just ridiculous. Mafia, I have not had – I have had every single week in college football this year in the 60s, 60% and above. It's between 60 and 70% every single week for 11 weeks in college football. That's insane. Yeah, you've been consistent the whole season. No uh, slow go, getting used to what teams are doing. You're right out the gates with it. Boom. And uh, pro football, I've had five weeks in the 70s, including uh, this past week. 70% of my bets covered. 5-0-1 my top six. 9-4-1 in my spreads. Fifth week in the 70s. Listen, go ahead. Use someone else, please. Be by all means, go ahead. While we're over here making all the money. So you go ahead with all these guys ripping you off. I'm over here with all the, like, the uh, gangsters in here and the homeless people making money. I'm making everybody fat stacks, okay? So you go ahead and keep telling yourself everybody else is better than me, and they're not. You lose. We win. We got all the money. So stay away from my sister. Not a very pleasant way to engage with people, I thought, there, Carver High. Very angry. Uh, so anyway, you knew that the Clippers would make a game of this, right? Under a minute left, they're down five. They were down big a couple times in this game, but they fought their way back. I got I, this guy, two things about the Clippers. I have to admit, like Patrick Beverly's an animal, right? He's just an absolute animal defensively. The guy is a freak on the court. He is all over the place and in your face like no other. He may be the best defender literally in the league, right? He'll drive you nuts. Uh, I know Avery Bradley of the Lakers has the same thing going, except that he's banged up right now. He's all injured. 
And so he's not the same when he's not healthy, right? But this guy, Beverly, is just a complete animal. Secondly, uh, Lou Williams is a freak. He's unstoppable. The guy can score every single time he touches the rock. He can find space and score. There is no better player in the league off the bench, bar none. Has he not been the sixth man like multiple times? This guy comes off of the bench. Mafia, you know somebody that comes off the bench. You do, usually. Yeah, I usually uh, come off the bench. energy spark. I come off the bench. I started tonight because we didn't have anybody. But uh, I, I because, like, when I got there, there were eight people there. So they're like, we don't need him. We don't need Mafia. That's the first right. thing Killer said to me. We don't need him. We got too many people. So I said, they don't, they don't need you. And then, sure enough, the one guy gets four fouls and then a fifth. He's out of the game. The other guy, as you already know, is, you know, struggles with his game. And so we had, and, you know, once we lost the other big and then our boy Fuego's knee hurt, we needed you. And meanwhile, you're uplifting weights and we couldn't, you know, I couldn't walk off the court. So we played with five. So I, I usually always am the sixth man and I score. I come in and I score. That's what I do. I'm a shooter. So, uh, Seeing this guy come in off the bench every night and just absolutely light people up is the most amazing thing to me. It's now a two-point game with 20 seconds left, and uh, the Clippers are just absolutely mauling them with the ball, playing D. But uh, so far, the Bucks have handled it. 12 seconds left and the foul. They'll go to the line. They're up two. And it's been a hell of a game, hell of an ending to the game. But I think Lou Williams is the most exciting player in the league to watch for a guy that is he's not a starter, he's a sixth man, he is still, without a doubt, bar none, the best sixth man in the league. And until I see otherwise, he should win it again. Seriously. Yeah, he's made a career out of that. I mean, a lot of the guys that, that win that award, they're guys that are usually earlier in their career or, you know, struggle to really get going the first couple of years. And then they win that award, and that's when their, like, breakout year happens. And then and they become that, a starter. Right. They start becoming a starter, making big money. Like, he just seems to be content just taking that role where he comes in later and just, you know, being the spark and the offensive guy that just dominates the second units and has made a killing out of it. But when he – literally, when the game's on the line, he's always in the game. They never – you know. Oh, yeah. He may come off at a bench. Like, right now, he's just dominating on the floor, making all the plays. When he's out there, he's always – like, here he is shooting in the corner, missing. I can't even believe he missed. Uh, it's a four-point game. The game's over. There's a half a second left. The Bucks are going to win. But all I know is that guy, whenever it matters, he's on the floor and he's making and he's making plays. The guy just constantly lights it up. Now, Montrez Harrell had 34 in that game tonight, so he's the leading scorer. But I have to say, uh, when I watch this guy play, I, I love his game. He just absolutely uh, – Lou Williams cannot be stopped. He had uh, 34 tonight, so he had the same amount as Harrell. He had 34, 6, and 11 but he had six turnovers, 34 points. Now, listen, he was 9 of 27. He chucks. He's like Chucky e. Cheese. But he was 12 of 13 from the line, and he hit four threes. He's a great player, Mafia, Lou Williams. That guy can just fill it up. He absolutely can. There's not a shot that he doesn't like, and you know, a lot of times he's hitting them. You know, he has a great, usually percentage-wise. You said he wasn't shooting great tonight, but, I mean, he's a guy, because of coming in there later, because of not starting and running the whole gamut of minutes like some of these guys do, I mean, he has to be more practical with his shot. He has to be more, you know, focused and discerning and usually takes great shots and it's a good percentage. So uh, this se regular season, 20-point average a game, career 14-point average, uh, and then uh, the last 10 games, 20 a game, tonight 34. The guy can go, tw you know, 25 to 35 every night of his life if he wants.
I mean, he's just a pure shooter and and slasher and scorer. The guy, not only does he shoot from the outside well, but he goes to the 10 because uh, he's so fast. He's so sleeky, sneaky fast. He's got that lean, completely zero body fat body where he just runs up and down. He's like 100 miles an hour. That's why he gets the space. He always gets space because he's so fast, like a lightning bolt. Remy in Ventura, Cali. Hey, Burrell. It's nice talking to you. You're hey. all that guy I like to hear. Man. My man. What's up, Remy? Hey, listen. I know, I don't want to bust up the party, but, you know, what are you going to think about what they're going to start doing this coming year with the college kids and this baseball with this new home plate that's going to be ran by uh, mechanical or whatever, calling balls and strikes. Right, robot umps. I don't know if it's, uh, you know, really a great idea. I I said before on this show, I I think the future, that's where we're headed. Uh, It's pretty obvious that they're trying to make that happen and and come to fruition. But I'll say this, uh, I'm not a fan of it. Uh, You know, okay, I I get it. Uh, It'll be more accurate uh, with the, you know, strike zone. You'll either throw a strike or you won't. There'll be no second guessing. There'll be no arguing with the home plate umpire, which I think that'll maybe make the game move quicker. You know, they spend a lot of time arguing balls and strikes and guys arguing with umps and managers and, and, and you know, bench coaches arguing and yelling epithets from the, uh, you know, cussing out the, uh, you know, umps from the dugout, right? It's it just a, it's a game uh, ender. You know what I mean? It, it takes something away from the game there's always a delay with the balls and strike problems and the and the home plate umpire given you know getting and giving the business to people right getting it from managers and giving it back because they don't tolerate anything they got a real short fuse you start riding the home plate ump about his balls and strike zone you'll get tossed faster and you can spit but i will say this i don't have uh i'm not a fan of it of robot umps I get why they're going that way. The future, it looks like that is the uh, predominant uh, force that's happening. But I'll say this. I think that, um, you know, I think there's something to say for the, you know, authenticity of an actual human being umping games. You know what I mean? Like, I've always, my entire life, I'm 54, and I've seen umpires my entire life ump the games at every base and in the outfield, right? Like, so... uh, I don't understand it. I just don't understand why they're, you know, in my view, ruining the game. The game's always had umpires. Sports has always had refs, right, and umps. And, and you know, someone's got to ref the games. So you're telling me now that uh, umpires, so what they're saying is, is umpires are going to, uh, they're going to have umpires at what, first, second, and third, and then what? And no home plate ump? Like, I, it, it's crazy to me. It's going to be run by a computer. It's going to be run by a robot, whatever you want to call it. Um, I don't know. They're doing it in the minors. Are they really doing it, Carver High, in college? Is that where they're Because I thought it was just the minor leagues. Well, they were doing it this year. They tested it out in the independent league. Right. Um, I, I hadn't heard that they were doing it in college. I, I hadn't either. I just heard the minors. They're doing it in the minor leagues this year. So uh, have at it, but I'm not a favor. Are you in favor of it, Carver High? Do you, do you like having an umpire at home plate? Uh, who's going to call out the uh, runner at home? No more umpire at home, home plate? How do you do that? How do you have an umpire, no umpire at home, and a robot? What's a robot going to do at a play at the plate? I, I don't particularly like it. 
I think there should be some human element. In How the can you call someone safer out at the plate when you're uh, on a camera? Maybe there'll still be a guy there just to do that. Oh, he's just going to stand there the whole day and wait for a play at the plate? Sure, why not? Is he allowed to drink beer while he's back because there? Because you are going to still need an ump back there for things like foul tips, things like that. I mean, how's a robot going to see so that? I, that's why I don't think they should do it at all. It should have a home plate umpire calling balls and strikes like they always have. It makes no sense to me to do all this shortcut stuff. Uh, and they're just tinkering too much with baseball, for God's sakes. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.